It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. The following is a paid podcast. iHeartRadio's hosting of this podcast constitutes neither an endorsement of the products offered or the ideas expressed. The following program is brought to you by NYU Langone Health. It's Katz's Corner with Dr. Aaron Katz, your trusted expert in men's health, providing straight talk on a wide range of men's health topics and advice on how to live your healthiest life. Now on 710 WOR, it's the chairman of urology at NYU Langone Hospital, Long Island. Here is Dr. Aaron Katz. Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome again to Cancer's Corner here on WOR iHeartRadio. So glad you could join us this morning. We have a wonderful show, a terrific show that I'm sure you will find uh, very informative and some new breakthroughs in the area for men that are having trouble urinating and uh, a common condition known as benign prostate enlargement or BPH, as it is commonly referred to in in uh, medical language and as well as uh, in the lay press. And to help me, I've asked a wonderful colleague, a dear friend of mine, Dr. Jeffrey Schiff. He's been in the Department of Urology now for, well, probably, probably, I don't know, I guess probably at least 10 years. He uh, holds the title of Assistant Professor uh, in the Department of Urology at the Long Island School of Medicine. It's now known as the Grossman Long Island School of Medicine. And he also holds the title of the Director of Minimally Invasive Urology. Good morning, Jeffrey. How are you? And thank you so much for joining us. Aaron, good morning. Thank you again for having me on the show. I appreciate it. Tremendous opportunity. Thank you very much. Of course. And uh, I know you've been uh, very busy. You're very active here in the office in Garden City and seeing a tremendous volume of of, of men uh, with, uh, as we were discussing, men with BPH. Maybe you can start out by just uh, telling us, uh, you know, very common symptoms that men are presenting to you and what are those symptoms and when should men be concerned about them and seek your advice? Yeah, great, great question and a great intro into kind of what we do here in terms of evaluating men, whether they bred, referred by their uh, their primary care physician, by their, their partner or spouse, or even they, they kind of self-referred for an evaluation of kind of what's doing with them and, and something seems to bother them and, and often out of a genuine concern and to see what's doing. Is there a sign of trouble or is there something dangerous or worrisome going on? So I kind of focused the initial evaluation to kind of let's see what's doing here. What are the comorbidities, we say, meaning what else is going on with this patient? Do they have diabetes or other conditions that can um, cause uh, urinary symptoms and then kind of start going through the process of let's see what's doing with them. Oftentimes kind of starting the evaluation with ruling them out or kind of starting the prostate cancer screening evaluation because many men might perceive the the starting of symptoms to be something that could be a sign of trouble or is it cancer, is it prostate cancer, is there something going on? 
So we kind of start with that evaluation and at the same time kind of gathering data uh, to note the severity of symptoms. We use kind of what's called a questionnaire. So we kind of ask patients about their symptoms, about their degree of frequency and urgency and getting up at night to go and, and is the stream weak? And, and then the final one being how bothersome is this all to them? So some men, again, might be looking for a little bit of reassurance for them personally or for their partner. And then once they kind of declare, okay, that's good, uh, how bothersome is this? And then I call it the menu and say, listen, we have a bunch of things that we can offer to help you from more conservative to a little bit more aggressive from even just a little bit of, you know, let's say fluid moderation and then going on down into medications and procedures and even surgical options. So there's a whole slew of things that we have to offer here. It certainly sounds like you you have to be a little bit of a detective, don't you? Because, you know, men could be coming in with what they feel is their prostate condition. But as you mentioned, uh, they may have underlying medical conditions. They may be on medications that could be the cause of their going to the bathroom all day, all night. And so um, you have to kind of tease all that out. Do you, are you able to do all of that, you know, detective work and find out is it really from the prostate, is it the bladder or some other condition uh, on one visit or does it require, you know, a series of visits to really come up with a definitive diagnosis? Yeah, it does take, uh, I've kind of consolidated down into about two visits. We get about half of the information we need on the first visit. And then I often say, you know, let's try this and then come back. And then we've started to kind of see about an intervention, see if we can kind of move the needle a little bit. And then we have them back to kind of finish the evaluation if it's necessary. And I say if they come back and they're and they're pleased with what we've kind of set out to do uh, and with the reassurance component, and then we can kind of, you know, just ask and see how they're doing and just kind of carry on from there. But I think another benefit that I've seen many times is that, that we have this tremendous NYU network on Long Island as well as in Manhattan. But we have access to, you know, when you're in the in the network or on the team, if you will, we have an ability to see the internist evaluation and their nephrologist and their cardiologist and their GI doctor, all of their notes, as well as evaluations and imaging and laboratory results. So getting back to that te- detective piece, it's really quite helpful to have all that information. And, and it's not uncommon that we find somebody with poorly controlled diabetes gets referred in for urinary symptoms. And, and you'd say you're going to be quite disappointed with my interventions because, again, if, until the diabetes is under uh, fairly tight control, you're not going to realize any benefits from, from what we have to offer you here. Yeah, that's really excellent. Uh, explanation and does go to the point of our very sophisticated electronic medical record allowing us to communicate amongst ourselves in the department but also through other departments as you mentioned nephrologists and medical doctors and sometimes patients do have cancer they're oncologists so I think you bring up a a really important point Uh, the the testing that you said I guess that there is some initial blood work to exclude for cancer Um, uh, the testing that men would have to undergo to come up with this diagnosis, is it mostly uh, non-invasive or there's some invasive testing that would be required as well? Sometimes we can use, you know, existing imaging. So I kind of say the factors that come into play are often the prostate size. So we can we often do digital examinations to kind of feel and kind of rule out prostate cancer. We might use an existing CT or an MRI if the patients have had prior imaging. If not, we are able to do a, a prostate ultrasound, which is done, I say, through their backsides, but it's a brief procedure that allows us to quickly uh, kind of get in and get out and just kind of get a sense of the size. And the reason why that's relevant is because of the, you know, the treatment algorithm and what we have to offer patients is somewhat a little bit predicated on prostate size. So again, a little bit invasive, but but not too bad. And, and everything that we do here in the office is is quite well tolerated and, and brief and quite informative and helpful in terms of us 
uh, giving the information that we need to best counsel our patients. Yeah, and we're going to get into all of the new innovations in treatment and uh, it does seem that size matters uh, for men uh, and especially for their prostate because it can determine which category of, of treatment, if treatment is needed. Uh, you mentioned the symptom score that you use, the ultrasounds that you use. So all of that really is is, is part of the, the integral part here. And you can pretty much do, like you're saying, all of that outpatient these days, right? To just come to the office and you can, you know, get the majority of, of, of testing done in an outpatient setting that you don't have to go to, to the hospital for any of this. Is, is that right? Right. No, none of this needs to be done in the hospital. It's all kind of, we have these, you know, beautiful facilities and even uh, nicer ones to come where we can do all these testing uh, procedures. Again, they're quite quick and, and um, routine and, and very well tolerated, like I said, and they give a, kind of a wealth of information uh, for reassuring patients and kind of further guiding their care. Now, uh, when you're evaluating someone and you find that it is the prostate and you're going through the different options with them, um, you know, it's it's interesting. Like you said, there's dietary and, and lifestyle things that we can offer patients, maybe reducing their, you know, amount of fluids. Maybe they're drinking too much tea or coffee or drinking beer or having too much fluid after dinner, and that's why they're getting up at night. Um, and then there's the, the medical uh, approach. And tell us a little bit about that, some of the medications that are used. And, and do you use those medications in your practice? Sure. I think, you know, part of the investigation is, again, teasing that information. You would say kind of getting a good history is kind of the lingo that we use in medicine, trying to tease out exactly what's doing with the patient and, and what we think might be going on to kind of further hone in on what might be best for them. And then I kind of, I call it the menu. I try and like it to make a, a framework about how I think of things and how have patients kind of understand that framework. And then I say from, uh, from you know, more conservative and let's just uh, reduce your fluids in the hours leading up to bedtime and, and see how you do and see how that goes. Um, and then report back after about six weeks or so. And then you say, okay, well, that's not working. Okay, we have, you know, medication. So medications is kind of the next rung up the ladder. And again, that can be directed towards primarily oftentimes the prostate that we often have uh, bladder-directed therapies. And then even going on from there, I break it down into office-based procedures, again, typically for the prostate, and then even into the hospital procedures. So, And I say it's all optional. It's all in an effort to kind of alleviate um, bothersome symptoms. So, again, I say it's, you know, it stops when the patient is satisfied with their the control or the intervention that we've offered them to kind of alleviate the symptoms, I think, for for decades, um, there were these medications that we call um, in the business alpha blockers. These are medications that are designed to kind of open up the prostate or the prosthetic urethra and that the, the urine runs through the prostate. And if we can open this up with some medication, that might alleviate your symptoms. And those are, you know, FDA-approved medications that really do help uh, improve the symptom score or improve symptoms for men. Though, again, there's some concern that's been brought up more recently in the last five to ten years or so about um, what are the risks to men of, of staying on these medications and are they really helpful? Is there something that, that could be happening behind the scenes where things are potentially deteriorating or they're not getting the improvement or even there's some concern that, that some of these men are actually stopping these medications uh, after some amount of time and that they're less than wholly satisfied, which has led to more uh, and other alternatives and more surgical or, or procedural interventions being offered. Yeah, that's great. So you have a, a wide variety of medications. You know, it's interesting, uh, you know, Jeffrey, that, and, and, you know, we recently reviewed an article in our journal club with the residents showing that men that do have all of these symptoms, like you're saying, that if they're untreated 
it seems to be that their the men's lifespan is much less, that the mortality rate seems to be correlated with these symptoms. And it could be that perhaps men are waking up in the middle of the night, they're not getting sleep, that's affecting their health. It could be that they're waking up and they're tripping and they're falling. It clearly does indicate that this is a, a major issue for men. And not only is it bothersome for them or their spouse as well, because they're getting up at night, but it also may have an effect on their overall lifespan, which is really something that um, I wasn't aware of, but came out in our on our in our Bible, the, the Journal of Urology, just uh, just last month. And just curious what you, your thoughts about that are. Yeah, I mean, that was kind of an interesting review that we had, and we were kind of um, kind of interesting when, when you could say that there's an increased risk of mortality from untreated urinary symptoms, and we're trying to think about, you know, how to how to discuss this, and is this something that we could even broach with patients and say, listen, there's been some published information about your, you know, your risk of death and things from these urinary symptoms, and we kind of make light of it, and we say it's just a nuisance type stuff, and then when you try and bring in this, you know, premature death or all these things, it gets kind of... Uh, a little wild and a little bit um, interesting. Into, is there a causation or just sort of an association? But it, it definitely does um, bring to mind that while these patients are need to be taken seriously for all the risks you mentioned in terms of their quality of life and if you're not getting good sleep and, and even the risk of falls when you're walking around in, in the evening and um, and the, the significant impact of having these these falls in the elderly and risk of uh, bone fractures and things. So uh, again, we kind of make light of, of the BPH world and urinary symptoms, but Again, there's a potential here that it's a significant uh, risk factor and can potentially even cause uh, you know premature mortality, which is pretty uh, wild to think of. Absolutely, and you know you also think, and, I, and I'm sure you've seen many patients in your practice as well that come in and they they've been having these symptoms for a long time, and then you do an ultrasound and you go, wow, you know your bladder is completely full and you're not emptying your bladder well, and we know what happens with these patients. They're set up for urinary tract infections, for also for kidney damage, because if the urine is not emptying in through the bladder, through the urethra, and it backs up into the kidneys, it can cause kidney damage. And I'm sure you've seen, and you know we've all seen, in the, in the, if you're in the field for a while, patients that will come in and they're, they're in kidney failure. And sometimes it can be reversed. Um, with a catheter or with a medication to relieve the amount of urine in the bladder, but sometimes not. And certainly kidney failure can have a major impact on someone's life and, and potentially mortality. So I think that, you know, I think the, the message that I'm hearing from you is that this is real. It seems that, you know, certainly as we go get older and we're seeing our, our Overall, the demographics in the United States, men are reaching older age, and um, thankfully, they, many of them are functioning quite well. But as the prostate seems to grow as we get older, these symptoms are, um, are really bothersome and uh, need yeah. to be addressed earlier. Absolutely. There's something that's been brought to my attention in terms of we talk about bladder health, and we draw this analogy between the bladder and, and potentially the heart and the function and the squeezing and that you know you want low blood pressure and, and low things to, to ease the pressure and the strain on the heart. And the analogy of the corollary is, is the bladder as well, and that you want to see that the bladder doesn't get overworked and, and doesn't have this increased hypertrophy or increased muscularity to it, because at some point it can kind of give out again in that corollary or analogy to the heart where patients can develop congestive heart failure or a lack of squeezing of the heart as well as a lack of squeezing of the of the bladder. And, and time is of the essence where you kind of want to intervene sooner than later, and that this can be a a sleeper, if you will, where, again, things can progress uh, right beneath your uh, nose if, and, and things that would benefit from, from more timely or early intervention. So it's always a, a challenge in terms of, again, creating uh, 
a feeling of comfort where I think you need to do something here versus kind of, you know, being overly too pushy in men who oftentimes uh, are a little bit hesitant to intervene. If you're just waking up in the morning here on Katz's Corner, we're talking with Dr. Jeffrey Schiff, who is an attending in the Department of Urology here at NYU Langone out on Long Island. He's also an assistant professor in the, in the Grossman Long Island School of Medicine and director of minimally invasive urology. Uh, if you'd like an appointment or a consultation with Dr. Schiff uh, in Garden City, the number is 516-535-1900. That number again and I'll announce it at the end of the show as well, is 516-535-1900. So, uh, Jeffrey, let's get into some uh, more of the advanced and some of the newer things that are happening here in this arena, and there's certainly an explosion of new different types of technologies. I think we have all of them here uh, at the NYU Langone campus, and I know that you're an expert in many of them. Let's talk about this one procedure that I know you've done quite a bit of, uh, called the Eurolift, uh, which is a office-based procedure that can really help alleviate men and not require them to go to the hospital. So tell us a little bit about that. Sure. So uh, for men with you know, a certain size prostate and with the severity of symptoms and are looking for an intervention, uh, recent to market, though, again, recent now is 10 years out that it's been around for, um, there's a procedure, again, so we talk through the algorithm or the kind of the workflow where there's medications, I say office-based procedures, and then into the hospital procedures. And I think the best office procedure is something called Eurolift, as you mentioned. It's a procedure. It's, again, we say minimally invasive. It's done in the office. There's no heating of the tissue. We kind of use that analogy of kind of pulling things open or, or pulling open the curtains of the window. And again, that everything that we're doing in, in the prostate realm or department is to try and go from closed prostate to an open, more open prostate. So the medication kind of open things up. Uh, these office-based procedures open things up as well as even the surgical procedures kind of open up the, the prostate, which is often blocking the road. So a Eurolift, like I said, is kind of pulling back of the curtain. So what you can do is put in these clips or implants they kind of pin back the curtain. So if you pin back the right and then you pin back the left, it kind of creates a wider channel in the middle. Um, there's a good visual in the office, which you can certainly take a look at. Um, but again, what that does is it, it, it's been shown to alleviate symptoms, uh, so it's, a, it's easily done. It's done in the office. There's no heating of the tissue. The patients recover quite quickly, again, because there is no heating of the tissue, and it's got what I say is minimal to no side effects. So and patients, if and when they have this procedure, which is optional, they're likely to improve, and there's very little risk. There's no sexual dysfunction. Uh, they might have a little bit of blood in the urine, but that's all quite transient, and that by two to three weeks, they come back, and they they often have significant improvement with uh, little need or little risk, to, uh, no need to go to the hospital or having testing and pre-surgical testing and all these other things and anesthesia. So uh, it's a really nice thing that I've been able to offer my patients and, I, and developed an expertise in, and I think it's um, it's been a great intervention for patients. Yeah, and I certainly have seen the benefits uh, from sending my patients over to you and then you performing this procedure. I've actually had patients that couldn't urinate at all and we're having a catheter put in and you do the procedure and as you said, you kind of open up the prostate with these uh, small little clips in there uh, and patients have been able to urinate, which in the past, you know, you'd have to bring these patients to the hospital and anesthesia and certainly it's not a, you know, a, a procedure where all men are candidates, but certainly it has made a significant uh, improvement in our treatment of men in an outpatient setting. and. If it didn't work, let's say, you could go to the 
to the the other standard, not standard, but the other treatment options that we've been used, like the the TERP procedure, where you're actually cutting tissue out of the prostate. Is that is that correct? You can you can always do yeah. that if it didn't work, right? Sure, right. So I kind of present it when I'm going through the consultation with patients. Listen, we can go one step at a time, or you could say, listen, give me the the most involved thing, you know, even though recognizing that it's a little bit more involved, that's going to be the most efficacious and it's going to keep me out of the office the longer and have the most profound improvement in my symptoms. So we kind of marry or try and match the patient's desire for intervention with the, the you know, I say it's kind of a pendulum or uh, in terms of their, their risk and benefits and that it doesn't, you know, burn any bridges. So you're welcome to do these procedures uh, in the office and see how it goes. And that can give them, you know, five to seven years of improvement. And you can always do it again thereafter or, or revisit or do something else. So even in the case where you said the most extreme case that we discuss is patients who are not able to go at all. Uh, and when they're living with a catheter or something to drain their bladder, we can offer them this procedure in the office within a few days and try to get them to be free of the catheter. And, and in the unfortunate or unlikely event that it's not successful, then they could still go on and do something that might take you know, a few weeks or even a month to kind of coordinate in the operating room or hospital. So it's a kind of quick uh, turnaround, quick improvement. And, and again, like I said, doesn't burn any bridges. So it, it does leave them open to doing anything additional if they should need to. Yeah, that's great. It really has been a big improvement, especially for men that are interested in preserving uh, erections and also preserving ejaculatory function. And when you go to the standard cutting procedure, uh, the majority of those men will lose their ability to ejaculate. Now, there's a new uh, technology that has uh, come out, and uh, NYU uh, here on Long Island has recently acquired it uh, using water, high-pressured water uh, jets called aqua uh, ablation, which I know does require patients to be in the hospital with anesthesia, but certainly for the men that have a little bit of a larger prostate, this seems to have made a significant, uh, uh, you know, uh, you know. certainly men are, are hearing about it. There's a lot of interesting publications that have come out about it. And so we thought we should get it, and we do have it here now, and I know that you're about to start doing it and have some patients on the schedule for a couple of weeks. Tell us about this, and tell us about your enthusiasm for aqua ablation. Yeah, it sounds like a really um, interesting technology. I think it's been, you know, years in the making and that there was an initial iteration of it, uh, but now it's kind of come back, and it's and it's better than ever, if you will. And what this procedure is doing, again, similar to the analogy of kind of pulling things open. This is now ablating or, you know, through what we call robotic guidance, meaning an ultrasound guidance, you can essentially outline where you would like to resect or remove tissue that's blocking the road. And then you kind of plan that through a computer. And then the computer goes out and, and shaves or cores out that tissue that, that's obstructing. So it's really quite revolutionary in its ability to take out the necessary tissue and to do it under safe and, and guidance and, and with a kind of a treatment plan. So it's it's consistent and reproducible, and it even has the potential ability to preserve uh, important things like ejaculatory and sexual function in men. Uh, and and we're, we're launching our program here uh, in about two weeks, and we have patients lined up, and we think it's going to do uh, tremendous things. And again, all the my experience uh, has been good, and that, again, the, the data supports its use, and uh, it's been used uh, successfully in Manhattan at NYU, and we think we're going to have a great uh, experience here as well. 
Yeah, no, I agree, and I thought it was important that we have it here, and I'm glad you're uh, going to be, uh, you know, spearheading this. And this is, by the way, if you are interested, aqua ablation. You can look it up on the internet, and also, if you'd like, you can certainly look up Dr. Uh, Schiff's uh, bio and his resume. And uh, this is all covered by uh, insurance, correct? So Medicare and other third-party commercial insurance carriers will cover this, right? Yes. Yeah. And uh, as well as the other procedure that you talked about, the, the Eurolift, that's the office-based procedure, that's also covered by insurance. Is that is that yes. right? Correct. Okay, great. So we, we certainly have uh, a lot of, you know, wonderful new uh, technologies that are available. Uh, what about the old technologies? What about things like the TERP and the green light laser? Do you think that those are kind of faded out now because we have these, or is there still a role for the uh, the ones that have been around for uh, for 30 years? I mean, I think the green light laser was probably around for, I don't know, I remember doing it probably 30 years ago at this point, which is incredible, and the TERP probably 50 years or more. Um, and and um, where, where do those sit today? Do you think that there's still a role there? Yeah, being being here for, for 10 years and in practice for 13 years, just seeing evolution of technologies and from the different ones that kind of come and go and that how things are, are improved for the better and for better outcomes and better patient care and that the safety has improved. So seeing, you know, we call monopolar TERPs and the original procedures that, you know, patients still have these horror stories of their family members being treated or their father had that procedure and they were in the hospital and they needed a blood transfusion and all these things. And now that's gone away. That's not even available anymore. And it's kind of successively gotten better with each iteration. Again, that same analogy of kind of coring out prostate tissue. So moving on to the green light, which is, again, a laser vaporization, and then into the bipolar, which is a, a safe way to resect tissue uh, without little risk to the patient. And now this even newer and more sophisticated way to kind of uh, robotically guide a resection with the aqua ablation, which is a little bit of a hybrid procedure where you're shaving out and, and coring out tissue with a little bit of the bipolar uh, touch-up, if you will, at the end. So um, this seems to be the best, you know, marriage of all the different technologies. Uh, again, I think these things are still out there in terms of TURP and green light, but I think those are numbers are going to go down as as these newer technologies pick up speed and, and become more widely available. Well, that that's great, and you know, so what you what I've been hearing, and, and I hope that all the listeners are learning, is that it does require initially, if you are having symptoms and signs of this, that you need. Uh, as Dr. Schiff had pointed out, a proper evaluation that it's not always from the prostate. There could be other medical conditions. Maybe it's a bladder trouble. Maybe it's both. And if you do, are diagnosed with this, um, there maybe are conservative measures. There's medications. And then as we've been talking about some of the newer strategies for either removing the tissue or unblocking the tissue. So all of that is available here uh, in, in the Mineola campus at NYU Langone. Uh, Dr. Schiff is, sees patients here in Garden City. I'd like to give the number out one more time. It's 516-535-1900, 516-535-1900. And all insurance carriers are accepted for the office visits, which as you've been hearing about are, are not horrible. They're not invasive. You shouldn't be scared or nervous. And you definitely should come for an evaluation and you, you can have your primary care physician uh, refer you in if you're part of the NYU network, or if not, you can just give us a call. Uh, I want to thank you so much, uh, Dr. Schiff. Thank you, Dr. Kat. 
Yes, my pleasure. Well, that's the end of the show, everyone. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I do. Tune in every Sunday here on Katz's Corner. We'll be back next week with a great show for you. Have a great day, everyone. This is Dr. Aaron Katz. You've been listening to Katz's Corner. Come back every week to hear more straight talk on a wide range of men's health topics and advice on how to live your healthiest life. The proceeding was a paid podcast. iHeartRadio's hosting of this podcast constitutes neither an endorsement of the products offered or the ideas expressed. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.